Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. We want you to open up that Bible to Psalm 16. And I want to just share a couple things before Joseph reads for us this morning. Uh, this is, if, if your Bible reads like mine, it'll say this is a mictum of David. Now, we don't know what mictum means. But those people who analyze these psalms recognize that every time mictum comes up, it seems to be there because there's great danger in the life of David. Now, it's interesting. When David gets in great danger, he thinks uh, and he sings and he writes poetry different than I do. First off, I don't write poetry and I don't sing when I get in danger. I usually moan and groan and, and bicker and bellyache. That's, that's how I do it. I don't know about you, just what I do. I need to repent of that. And by the way, this is a good psalm for me this morning, Joseph, because I can repent of a good many things this morning. But here is interesting. Uh, one of, that's a, you know, occasionally we have uh, around uh, our dinner table, we'll ask questions like, you know, who's your favorite this? Who's your favorite? Well, what's the best movies ever? And they don't even ask me. They don't look my way. They're looking at each other because they know what I'm going to say. There's really, there's really only one choice to best movie ever. You taking notes? I'm a, you're taking notes. It's time to take notes, all right? The best movie ever says the pastor of Dayspring Community Church is The Sound of Music. Got it? And in there, there's a lot of just really great music. And by the way, I've been to that place. I've been to that, that house that's in the movie. I've been to the gazebo. I've seen it. I've gone through those gates. I've been there. It was a long time ago, but I was... Uh, anyway, in The Sound of Music, there's a, a lot of really great songs, but you may remember this. When the dog bites... When the bee stings, when I'm feeling sad, I simply remember my favorite things, and then I don't feel so bad. That's kind of how David operates. Not how I operate. That's how David operates. What's interesting today is, as you read, as Joseph reads, and you're going to be following along, the first six verses seem to be about the narrow-mindedness of David. It's a cool narrow-mindedness. It means I'm narrowing my life in on the Lord. So I want you to look at the narrow-mindedness of David. Then, in 7 to 11, what you're going to notice, as Joseph reads, is the blessings that flow from that kind of narrow-mindedness. So there's two things I'd really like to see happen at the end of this service. Whether you're here, inside of our building here at Day Spring on 1100 Business Park Drive of Clinton, Mississippi, or you're watching wherever you're watching by live stream, two things. I'd like for us to leave more narrow-minded than ever before. And I'd like for us to expect the blessings that will flow from that kind of narrow-mindedness, okay? So that's the aim. Let's be narrow-minded, and let's anticipate the blessings that come from that kind of narrow-mindedness. Would you please stand in reverence to the Word of God as Joseph reads Psalm 16, the whole thing. Preserve me, O God, for in Thee do I put my trust. O my soul, that Thou hast unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord. My goodness extendeth not to Thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent, in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied, that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer, nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is a portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my life. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, 
I have goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see the corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life in the presence and fullness of joy at the right hand. There are pleasures for it even evermore. <clears throat> Lord, we just put our trust in you. You're our rock. You're our foundation, Lord. And, and we just pray that you would speak to us through this message and we just pray that we could be more narrow-minded on you. We just love you and thank you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, verses 1 through 5 here, they all speak to some kind of allness, what we're going to call allness, or single-mindedness. Now, we're going to call single-mindedness this morning narrow-mindedness, because you're basically saying my option is one, and it's that right there. And so, the narrow-mindedness of the saint today. Now, what's interesting here is years ago, when I was uh, studying for my doctorate at the University of Kansas, I ran into some research suggesting that mentally unstable people tend to think this way. Allness, single-mindedness, narrow-mindedness. For instance, you could tell it by speech patterns. If someone, for instance, in a marriage, if, if there's an unstable marriage, uh, if, if things aren't working right in the marriage, then sometimes what you'll see is the problem that surfaces because of their speech patterns. For instance, he always disappoints me. You see the allness language there? Always disappoints me. Or she never acts right. Or he's the devil. You know, after you said that, there's nowhere else to go. I mean, there's no... You need to always save yourself a little room below whatever you describe, so you can just go lower if you need to. But if you're the devil, that's it. That's all. That's kind of narrow. And so that's the sort of thing that comes from mentally unstable people and mentally unstable situations, so said this research. But when I look at the Bible, it's interesting. They're really into this kind of mental instability. They're talking allness all the time. I mean, the key thing they said every night before they went to bed, the key thing they said every morning when they woke up is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That, right there, that's narrow-minded. I'm going to love Yahweh. And then we get in the New Testament. I'm going to love this Father, this Son, this Spirit with everything so that there's nothing left for anything. Nothing left for anybody else. Nothing left for another perspective. I'm going to be narrow-minded with my life. And a Jew twice a day would say this great Shema passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord's our God. Love Him with all, 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 all. Love Him. That's what we're called to. That kind of narrow-mindedness. That kind of allness. And the world will call that mentally unstable. And what we call that is really the only way to live. If you're going to have abundant life, that's the option. And we are willing to declare it loud and long. So what's interesting to me is when you look at David in this mictum, he lurches off into spiritual allness in a pretty dramatic way. He's very, 
narrow-minded. So let's look at verse 1, for instance. Preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. The implication is you and only you. And basically, the rest of the psalm particularizes on those last five words of that sentence. For I take refuge in you. Not you, 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 and you, but just you, O Lord. And so, verse 2, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good beside you. There's nothing else in my life that's good except you. Now you're thinking, wait a minute. Freedom, and I I know you, and I know your life, and I know your family. And uh, as far as I know, Mary's not God, and she's pretty good. You got six kids. Lord bless you. They're pretty good kids. That's good besides God. And I'm thinking, no, none of that happens without God. I have no good thing that God didn't bring to me. Had a discussion this week with someone. In case someone came up and says, listen, I'm not so sure I believe in that inherent total sinfulness thing that uh, orthodoxy teaches. Just totally sinful. Without God, you're totally sinful. I'm thinking, well, what is there that's part of your life that's good that's not God? Think of something. Whatever's good about you is good because of God. So you can say this with all confidence. So I can say, all right, yeah, Mary's good, but I don't have Mary if God didn't put us together. We don't have these six kids unless God made that situation happen. Now, I'd like to think I helped. But the only reason I would have helped in that situation is God gave me the grace. God gave me the spirit to help. So it's all God. And I love this thought. I have no good beside you. By the way, that's why it says in James, and you ought to think about this this week, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. James 1.17, you need to make that a memory verse. James 1.17, memorize it. Every good thing that happens to me this week comes from the Father. If it's good, it's the Father. If it's not good, it's come from somewhere else. But just think in terms of your life of every good thing comes from God. Then, verse 3, as for the saints who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. Now, this is what we believe. When you get to the New Testament, there's a word for all the saints, and that is the body of Christ. The body of Christ. It's not just, hey, the people, and then there's God. No, God. Jesus says, listen, I'm operating through my body, through the church, Right now, look at someone else right now and say, my delight's in you. Hey, break that up over here. Hey, 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 hey. Look at somebody else, will you? You guys got a love story going on. Look at somebody else and say it. Look at Mr. Henry and say it. There you go. My delight's... Say it to somebody, not your wife. My delight's in you. Hey, you're listening by live stream right now? Look at somebody else right now. If you're going down the highway, look at somebody else right now and say, my delight's in you. And then get your eyes back on the road. All right, come on. We need to share around. This is great. This is great. My delight is in the body of believers, the saints, the majestic ones. Boy, you ever heard called that? Uh, some translations have well, noble ones. So we take delight in the body of Christ. Verse 4, the sorrows of those who bartered for another God, well, <laughs> their sorrows are going to be multiplied. I'm not going to participate in homage to another God. For another God, I'm not going to go that way. I'm not going to worship them. I already serve the one true God. That's enough for me. Amen? Uh, then look down at verse 5. 
the Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The implication is the Lord is my inheritance. The Lord is my cup. The Lord is my lot. Now, I think what this is referring to, when they got to the promised land, they divvied up the land, right? They said, all right, here are the boundaries. Here are the outside boundaries. But inside, there's going to be some boundaries. And this guy's saying, hey, you know what? My inheritance, my lot, my parcel is God. Now, I'm glad for land. I hope you're glad for your land. I don't have much. i got a front yard, a backyard. I'm supposed to mow it occasionally. But you know what? At the end of the day, that's not what I get excited about. My yard? The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my inheritance. The Lord is my lot. I'm excited about how the Lord is the thing in my life that I can take pride in and that I can say, God, not only do I want to take pride in you, I want to worship you. You are my only. You are my only. You are my only. I have nothing in my life apart from you. And then it rises to a great climax here. This whole thing of this is what a narrow servant is. This is how this David may be in a cave right now. He's looking out there and saying, man, they're after me. God, you are my only. And it rises to this great climax. The lines. Imagine now, you're in a cave. If I'm in a cave, I'm grumbling. Why is Saul so mean to me? God, you're not taking care of me. David says, "Woo! the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. <sighs> Talking about his heritage. Can I tell you something? I got a great heritage. My daddy received Jesus, and because he received Jesus, he brought his family along. Now, I had to make my own personal decision. I know that. But my dad sure made it easy for me to make that decision. And I, I'm, I'm grateful for that. At one point, I, I decided I'm leaving that liberal church, not going to the, go to the church of my family. I'm, and so my, my mom said, well, you got to go somewhere. Go to dad's best friend. So I went over to Lauren Dyke's house, 1211 Holland, Great Bend, Kansas, 67530. And I tell you what, it's there that I found Jesus. And my heritage is beautiful to me because uh, Jesus had changed Lauren Dyke. And can I tell you, you always hear me talking about East Stanley Jones. There's a reason for that. East Stanley Jones had changed Lauren Dyke's life. He knew Stanley Jones. He were friends with Stanley Jones. And so when I, when I quote Stanley Jones, it's because when I got saved at that little house church at 1211 Holland, they're always talking about this guy named Stanley. Who is this old geezer? Who is this guy? Well, you want to come hear him speak? No, not really. He's an old guy, right? When he was seven, deep into his seven, they said, would you like to come hear him? And I said, no, he's an old guy. Be yeah, be careful. <gasps> but you know something? Stanley Jones is part of my spiritual heritage. Lauren Dyke is part of my spiritual heritage. My dad is part of my spiritual heritage. They think, well, I'm, I don't have a, I didn't have a daddy like that. And I didn't have a Lauren Dyke like you had. And I didn't have this. And I, yes, you do. You're here today for some good reason. Whatever it is, that's your spiritual heritage. You need to start saying, yeah, that's my spiritual heritage. And then the people you start pouring your life into, you can always point back and say, hey, let me tell you about my spiritual heritage because now that's part of your spiritual heritage. So, 
Isn't it a great thing that I can say, hey, kids, you just need to know that part of your spiritual heritage, my six kids, I can say, Jerry Friedman, adult convert, first one in his family, Lauren Dyke, Stanley Jones. This is part of our spiritual heritage. And my spiritual heritage becomes part of the spiritual heritage of the people that I try to disciple, the people I try to get along with. This is the narrow servant. I take refuge in you. I have no good beside you. In the saints are all my delight. I'm not going to weigh after other gods. You are my inheritance, my only cup, my only lot. I have a heritage that's beautiful to me. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. You have a narrow-minded heritage. Everybody says, say right now, praise God. Now, the next part of this is this, from 7 to 11. Look at the blessings that flow from this narrow-mindedness. First, I am counseled and I am instructed. <laughs> Verse 7, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, he is at work in my life in such a way my mind is even instructing me during the night. Now, all educators know the term IEP. If you're an educator here today, you know what IEP means. If, if, a, if a child has special needs, then you need to develop an IEP for that child. And an IEP is an individualized educational plan. When I was going to school, even all the way back when I was going to school, IEPs were all the rage. Here, you need to, if you have a kid that uh, is struggling here, you have a kid with special needs, then you need to know they are going to sit in your classroom and you need to have a plan for their life, for their educational life. You need to individualize this thing. Kind of a hassle. Educators don't tend to love these things, but nonetheless. I'm thinking in the kingdom of God, every single one of us are special needs students. And God has an IEP for every one of us. Every one of us has an individualized educational plan, a special, focused, individual plan that gets us discipled and gets us ready for the purposes He has for our life. So God counsels us, He instructs us through our various experiences, through our learning styles, to come to the place where He can use us maximally for His will and His glory. And I don't know about you, I want to learn as much as I can from his IEP for me. Can I tell you what one of the things I do every week? I mean, it's a, it's a great life that I lead. Uh, I get in discipleship groups. Some of them are Wesley Biblical Seminary discipleship groups. Some of them are discipleship groups out of this church. But typically, I'm in anywhere from five to seven discipleship groups a week. You know something? We establish these discipleship groups so that anybody who's in the group, particularly the leader, can learn and grow from God's IEP for them. Nobody grows as much from those discipleship groups than I do, and I lead them. Why? Because we start off and we say, hey, here's the scripture. How's the Holy Spirit talking to you through the scripture? You know what happens? People will just start talking into my life based on what the Holy Spirit said to them. So I can say, hey, Billy, thanks for the insight. Billy could easily say, not mine. Jesus is working in me right now through me into this group. Henry, 
You know, hey, good insight, Henry. Not mine. It's God's insight. I'm thinking, well, it was good. It must have come from the Lord, right? That's how we operate now, James 1.17. It's good. Everybody agree it's good? Yeah, that's good insight, Mr. Henry. And Henry could say, well, that comes right from God then. It's good. Because if it was just Mr. Henry, it wouldn't be so good. (laughs) See, he even amens that. Hey, y'all. I got a great IEP, and part of my IEP is meeting together with groups every week so they can pour into me, and I'm leading the group. I've never grown so much as a Christian as I have in the last few years because of his IEP for my life. What do you suppose God's IEP is for you? His individualized educational plan to make you all the person. Is there something that you've been not wanting to get involved with that you need to get involved with? so that he can have his total sway in your life. How's your prayer life? Are you reading your scripture every day? Are you fasting? Hmm. Are you in a group? Are you learning? Are you growing? Are you changing so God might have his way in your life? So the first thing, one of the great benefits of this narrow-mindedness is that I am counseled and instructed by God. The next thing here is, I'm unshakable. I don't know about you. I want to be the unshakable man. Uh, Verse 8, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Woo! Now listen, I never, this is kind of, I don't know. I mean, until you get the context, this sounds off. God's at my right hand. What is that? God is at my right hand. Usually the, the right-hand man is the one that's the servant of the guy. Here, God's my right is at my right hand. So this is what we think this is probably about. If you were a fully armed warrior, you would hold your weapon in your right hand. Everybody get your weapon up. Okay? Got a sword there? And the person would hold his shield in his left. So get your shield going. Okay, here we go. So if you're at the right hand of God, then you are on the shield side of God. All right? But the same thing for him. If he's at your right hand, then guess what he's doing? So that was why they would have this and then this. The person to the right would have the privilege of defending the person on the left. So if God is at your right hand, he is in the defense posture of your life with his shield. How cool is that? Stuff's coming at you this week. Stuff's coming at you, and it's headed to you. And let me just say, it may, it may just damage you, but it can never get to your soul. It can never get to your heart. It can never get to your personal relationship with the Almighty God because He is your defense. I told you about that 1211 Holland place, right? Lauren Dyke. Let me tell you about his wife, Marilyn. This week I shared this in uh, one of the groups. I said I was a when I came to know Jesus I was a misfit automatically. You know I, I was a kind of Christianity which, oh, well I think it's good Christianity. In fact I think it's the best Christianity. Don't smoke, dance, drink, or chew. Dance, eh. But you know don't smoke. Yeah, just don't do these things. Just you know I'm a prude, happy prude. I, I'm a prude that. Magnifies the prudishness. I want everybody to be a prude. I think it's a good life. But having said that, once I became that guy, 
increasingly going through junior high, it was obvious I was that guy. I was an outcast. And it broke my heart. I didn't want to be an outcast. I wanted to be the person at the center of the most popular kids in the school. I was never going to be that. It broke my heart. And you think, well, that's, if that's all that caused your heartbreak. But no, I'd, I'd get out, I would go to the library, and they would have um, high school yearbooks from years And I would open up those high school yearbooks and say, I want to be in the middle of the athletic thing. I want to be in the middle of the popular thing. I want to be in the middle of the cheerleader thing. I want to be in the middle of all the cool things. But when I came to Christianity, it's obvious I wasn't going to be. I was on the outside. The truth, it lasted through college, too. It always kind of broke my heart. Marilyn Dyke, Lauren Dyke's wife, Marilyn one day, I think I was in eighth, maybe ninth grade, I kind of forget timeline, but uh, Marilyn was a great pianist, and she would lead us in music, usually Gaither songs back in the day, and we loved to sing, everybody loves to sing, she'd say, hey Matt, come stand up and do a solo, and we all wanted to sing solos, and we, we just loved it, had a great time in that house church, but one day she stood up from her piano, she came over, and she put her hands on my head, and uh, I can't remember exactly what she said, but it was a prophecy. And she basically said, in essence, Matt, God is your shield. God is your refuge. Now, you're going to feel uncomfortable. I know you feel vulnerable. Someday you may be even in danger, but you need to know God is at your right hand, and he's got this. Matt, this is not your time to shine, but in the future, you're going to be okay. Just hang in there. Boy, that meant the world to me. That meant the world to my life. And I believe, in essence, what she was saying was, Matt, you right now are resting your life on an unshakable God, which makes you unshakable if you stay there. Stay there with your unshakable God. So the first thing here is simply, I'm counseled and instructed I am unshakable than this. I am glad and I am rejoicing. Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad, my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely, for you're not going to abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo, undergo decay. Now, for whatever it's worth, from here on, actually from verse 8 on, these lines are used on the day of Pentecost by Peter in his great sermon. These lines are used because Peter's saying, hey, our God is resurrected. Jesus is resurrected. My flesh is secure, says Jesus. Jesus says, I'm not abandoned. I will not rot. My father has got this situation in the palm of his hand. I will have resurrection life. And Paul uses these verses to show exactly what Peter's trying to articulate. We have a resurrection God. Our God, the second person of the Trinity, is now risen. And for that reason, we can believe. Now, I, uh, I'm a fan of a guy named Tim Keller. as a church in New York City. Tim Keller says, The resurrection makes Christianity the most irritating religion on the face of the earth. 
<laughs> I never thought of it that way. The resurrection makes our faith the most irritating faith in all the world. You think, what are you talking about, Keller? He says, the reason is, how do people decide what they believe? That's a great, that's a great question. How do you decide what you believe? He says, most people just read something or hear something, say, I like it, and if you like it, you agree to it. I believe that. If you don't like it, you say, I don't like that. I think every one of us, by the way, could read Christianity, do Christianity the same way, and if we did it, it'd be wrong. Because you've got to admit, there's some parts of that Bible we like. Right? There's some parts of that Bible, that I think, ooh, that's, that's really great. I like that part. That part about how I'm loved by God, I like that. But that part where it says, love your enemy? I'm not so sure about that. That part where it says, if a man slaps you on the right cheek, turn me in the other also? I don't know about that. We're a gun-toting people around here. I'm not sure Jesus was from around here. I mean, some parts we really like. Some parts we can flat do without. But that's not how we decide what we believe. Never believe based on what you like or don't like. And so Keller says, let me tell you why the resurrection makes our faith irritating. Because when you read something and say, I like it or don't like it, very dangerous. I don't like what he says about money. I don't like what he says about sexuality. And Keller is in New York City, so he's dealing with this whole homosexual marriage thing and says, whoa, we got to ask God what he thinks about this, not what we like or believe or think about it. What does? So he deals with this, these issues, loving enemies. And if you say offensive, that's offensive. I don't like it. Keller tries to calm him down and says, listen, if Jesus was raised from the dead, you don't have to worry about it anymore, about what you believe or don't believe. Because if Jesus was raised from the dead, you believe it all. Period. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then believe or don't believe whatever you like or don't like. But if Jesus was raised from the dead, you believe in this word of God. Listen, talk about Paul. Paul was more offended by Christianity than anybody that we know. For instance, he would look, Keller would look at someone who's arguing with him about this. He says, listen, you've never been so upset with the Bible to kill Christians. I hope not. Paul was more offended by Christianity because he was actually killing Christians. He hated Christianity. He hated the faith. He hated Jesus that much. But the day he found out that Jesus was resurrected, and Jesus was still alive. That's the day Paul said, i got to start believing something different here. That took him a while. In fact, he's not used for the great missionary purpose that he's called to for about a decade after that. He's got to rethink this thing. He's got to work it through. He's got to go out to the desert for three years to figure this thing out. But he's finally where he's totally repented in his mind, and he can be used of God. And he goes off and does what? Makes Christianity the most irritating thing? Irritating belief system. Why? Because he speaks of the resurrection. He convinces people of the resurrection. And if you believe the resurrection, you can no longer say, I like this part of Christianity. I don't like that part. You believe it all because it's true. And then Paul started living the resurrection life. And he asked every one of us, you need to live the resurrection life too. Real quick. He says in verse 11, 
you make known to me the path of life. So one of the great, great benefits of Christianity is I am now on the path of life. Now, I looked this up years ago. They only had four things. Now they have eight. I actually looked up life. I looked it up. Just Google it in. Definition of life. It says there are eight things. So this is going to be a little longer than it would have been if we got on my research and no one had four things. What does life include? Eight things. Number one, cellular organization. All your cells are organized so that you can live. By the way, I think when you come around to Christianity, God organizes your life so you can know abundance. What is life? Life is cellular organization. Then it says this, metabolism. Metabolism is I can take nutrition in. My body can say, hey, we can use that. We don't use that part. And you get rid of that part. And you, metabolism is all about usable energy. And if you've got metabolism, hey, that's the way it is every day of our life. We take in things. Some things we can use for the glory of God. Some things we can't. So we just get rid of them. Cellular organization, metabolism, homeostasis. I said, Caleb, what's homeostasis? He told me something. I said, I don't think you're right. He says, look, look it up. I said, Caleb, you're right. Homeostasis is stable equilibrium. I couldn't come up with that alone for nothing. I mean, but everything's in sync. Everything's organized just so, and you have equilibrium in your body where your toes are working with your fingers, where your arms are working with your torso, where your torso is working with your knees. Everything has an equilibrium to it. Then there's heredity. Hey, listen, you just don't have life on your own. You're getting it from someplace. You've got some DNA in you, and so know that you come from someplace. Then there's response to stimuli. Things are going to happen to you all week long this week, and you're going to respond to them, and you can respond to them in life-giving ways or ways that are damaging. Here's a stimuli. We have some addicts here this morning. Here's some stimuli. You like beer? You're going to see some beer this week. You've got to respond to that stimuli in a wholesome, life-giving way. And we're always in this congregation dealing with that. People all the time coming in saying, hey, i I got this problem. We're working with them on the problems, but they're always worried that they're going to respond to the stimuli in a wrong way. And therefore, we pray regularly that they will respond in life-giving ways. Respond to stimuli. Then this, growth. We grow. That's easy enough. Then we adapt. And we can adapt in such a way that we are stronger because of the experiences that are happening to us. And finally this, reproduction. We do not exist for ourselves. We exist to produce others in the image of God out of our lives. Cellular organization, metabolism, homeostasis, heredity, response to stimuli, growth, adaptation, reproduction. David could say, hey, I'm all about those things. Paul could say, hey, I'm all about those things. And we can say today, hey, we are all about those things. We just want those things to be optimized in our life. So we can be all the people of God he wants and needs for us to be. And finally this, in your presence is fullness of joy. Verse 11, in your right hand there are pleasures forever. God intends to bring you joy and pleasure, y'all. Are you enjoying that joy today? Do you have pleasure today in Christ Jesus? Because he says, I want you to know joyful presence and pleasurable hand. I got, the Bible doesn't use the word hilarious, but I do. And I think it's actually consistent. He wants you to have a hilarious life.
He wants you to have a hilarious life. Could you repeat these things with me this morning? I am counseled and instructed. Say it. If you're live streaming right now, you need to say it. Everybody in that room right now needs to say it. Say it again. I am counseled and instructed. I am unshakable. I am glad and rejoicing. I am on the path of life. I know His presence. I know His hand. And they are joyful and they are pleasurable. Jesus, I want you to give day spring. Those who are in this building right now, those who are listening by live stream, and strangers that are listening right now that we don't know any about why they're listening or anything else about their lives, but I want you to give them two things today as they listen. Give them a holy narrow-mindedness and then bless them with the benefits of a holy narrow-mindedness. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And if you receive that message today, just say, I receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you, Dayspring. Thank you very much.